if you will, turn with us uh, to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verse 1 and verse 7 in particular. And I think, Spencer, we'll just probably read through all seven of them. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll be reading from 1 to 7. Um, and as they pass that out, I want you to pay particular attention this morning because we're going to, God willing, we're going to answer the question biblically that we posed several weeks ago. And the question that we posed several weeks ago, we handed out, and for those of you who weren't here with us, uh, I'm estimating three or four months ago, we handed out a question um, to everyone in the fellowship and asked for you to answer it and return it. And you can either put your name on it or answer it anonymously and use all the space you want to use and then some to uh, answer the question, Scripture. And we got all kind of responses, wonderful, well thought out, prayerful responses uh, to the question, uh, full of Scripture and uh, things that uh, God had showed you in the, in the Word. And it was just a blessing and, and enriched me just to read some of the responses we got. But we got them back and... Uh, I, I looked at uh, and, and almost everyone filled it out. And uh, this was the question that we posed. If you look at the top of the sheet, has everybody got one? Okay, the top of the sheet. The name of the message, the title of the message this morning is the Surrender Serenade. The Surrender Serenade. And the question that we posed is a little bit different than the way I put it on the top of the sheet. But the question we posed is this: As a born again believer, now this is to the believer. Emphasizing the believer. As a born-again believer, is the call to full surrender urged or commanded? Is the call to full surrender urged or commanded? I'd have to say that by and large, and uh, I certainly understand it, but by and large, the majority of the responses we got to that question, and again, they were really good, all of them, good responses, well-thought-out responses, and prayerfully considered and biblically considered, which I'd expect from you all. Majority of the responses fell in the category of commanded. Matter of fact, some of those responses would say commanded, and then you change your mind in the middle of it and say maybe it's urged. But majority of it was definitively on the commanded column. And we want to look at that biblically this morning because the Bible has an answer for that. The Bible has an answer for everything. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what our opinions are, but it does matter what thus saith the Lord. And so in respect and reverence and honor in God's holy word, would you stand with me if you're physically able? And let's read from the text this morning. We're going to zero in, in particular, in Romans 1.1 and Romans 1.7. But let's look at it. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called, to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word of the living God. Thank you for standing. Would you be seated, please? 
Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and we praise your glorious name for our right and access to do so. That was a that was a big, big deal. We know that access is denied on our own. We had to have an intercessor. We had to have a go-between. And that go-between couldn't just be anyone. It had to be somebody who qualified. And Lord, the only one who was qualified is the one who did it. And it was your blessed Son. A plan from the foundation of the world that God the Son would come, take on human flesh, take on our sin and the guilt that was uh, surely imposed on it, and the penalty. And now it's lost its grip on us. And now one day we look forward to the day, not only that we've been delivered from its penalty, which has already happened, we've been delivered from the power it has over us. But we, and we're be, being delivered from it, but we'll be delivered one day from its presence. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, what a Savior. And thank you, Lord, that this is not speculation. This is not some uh, philosophical plan that some man came up with or concocted. It's the gospel that came from heaven. It wasn't received uh, by man. Uh, it was received from heaven. The Apostle Paul. And you met with him and you spoke the truth of the Scriptures and you met with other men and you moved upon them through the power of your Holy Spirit and gave us eternal truth that we can stand on. Not words just to live by, but words to die by. And we love you and worship you for it. We praise your name, Lord. May today be, by the time we get through today, when may you deal a mortal blow to ourselves so that we get out of the way and let you live through us. Because we know that's the Christian life. That we die so that you're resurrected in us. Lord, thank you for the work of the cross for us. And thank you right now, Lord, for the work of the cross that you're doing in us. May we have, let you have free reign and access and lay down our lives as living sacrifices motivated by all the right reasons. In the sweet, sweet name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Speaks to motive this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to share about. Everyone, no one as a believer would deny that, that, that the position that Christ holds in the merits of His life that have been gifted to us by the grace of God from a plan that came about before you and I were ever born. And the fact that He's Lord, nobody in here is going to contend with or nobody's going to take the task and say that He deserves for our full surrender. I mean, you, you can't make a case for that, can you? I mean, if He really is who He is, if He's God incarnate, if, he, if He's God and He is, and He took upon human flesh, and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If that's going to happen, and it is, the Bible teaches it. If He beat death, if He was raised from the dead, if we have the hope of His sure return, if we're going to stand in front of Him in one day in judgment, if He is all of those things, and He is, if He's that beginning and the end and the middle in between. If He's the Alpha and the Omega. If He's the one who was, the one who now is, and the one who is to come. If He's eternal and always has been and always will be. If He is all of those things, then none of us would make a case and say, well, He doesn't deserve our full surrender. This is not about whether or not He deserves full surrender. This message is not about that at all. The message here is, is what's the biblical motivation for our surrender? How does God recruit people for full surrender? You know, nowadays, in other countries, people are being killed because they won't bow down to a certain God. In Muslim-controlled countries, 
They'll cut your throat if you don't worship the false god of Allah. They force. It's under duress. It's under a sword. It's under anger. Mr. Hussein, who recently got saved, our friend from Publix, who takes our groceries in and out, he said, oh, Brother Lindsay, he was, he's, you remember, you've met him. He was formerly a Muslim, raised in a Muslim. And he said, it's anger, it's bitterness and hate, but Jesus Christ is love. I said, Mr. Hussein, you're exactly right. He recruits through a cross, not a sword. He took the sword so he could recruit us through the cross. And we read here, and we're going to look at some words carefully in the introduction of Romans. And it's going to answer and unlock the key to answering the question that we posed here. That as a born-again as, as born believer, is the call to full surrender urged or is it commanded? Now, you have to look carefully here and walk with me carefully through this. Just a little bit of background. As you well know, and most of you know in here, the book of Romans was born out of Paul's desire to visit there in person and give them in person what he wound up putting down on paper. He desired to go to Rome, but the Holy Spirit prevented him from going. And the very reason that the Holy Spirit prevented him from going, he'd never been able to meet, meet these believers up until this time, was that the Holy Spirit led him to put down on paper what he would have told them in person for the church to have forever. And in the book of Romans, we have the greatest, most comprehensive treatment of the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of Scripture. It doesn't have a rival at all. Now the gospel is all through the Scripture. It's about, the Scripture is about the gospel. But in the book of Romans, we have the constitution of the Christian faith. We have the Magna Carta. We have the declaration of dependence of the Christian faith. We have it right here. All the major doctrines are systematically and methodically and beautifully and gloriously mapped out all through the book of Romans. All the books of the Bible are important. But this one sums them all up. And he, so he said, okay, let me write down what I would have told you in person so that you and I could be studying it today. And as typical with an ancient letter, the way they were written was like a Christmas package. You would introduce the letter and it would be a to and a from. Just like when you put a Christmas package together, Pat. You would say to Randy, my wife, from Pat. Your loyal, devoted, great, wonderful, stupendous husband. And so you'd have the from and the two, right? Okay, well, you've got the from in verse 1, and you've got the two in verse 7. Now, let's look carefully at the from. Now, look at it on your notes here. Paul, you see him right there? Listed under there is what he calls himself. Now, I want you to look carefully at this. Follow me carefully. Now, you're going to miss this if you don't follow me carefully. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you, how many of you, in your version of the Bible, the to be, where it says called to be, the to be is in italics? Is that common? The to be is in italics? Alright, the reason the to be is in italics, and if it's not in italics in your Bible, it should be. But, it's, the reason it's in italics is because it was added for translation purposes to help us in the English translation. But in the original text from which it was the Greek, from which it was translated, that 2B is not there. So, it is more accurate to read it this way. Listen to me. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called apostle. So in other words, it's not a progression. He's not a bondservant. 
called uh, and separated to Christ, called, and then that later led to his apostleship. It's a list that describes who he is. It's his identity. Paul was a bondservant. He was called and he was separated to the gospel of God. That to be really matters. Hang with me and you'll find out why. Hang with me. Called, a bondservant, called apostle. Then he addresses in verse 7 the church at Rome. And he says, okay now, this is the church at Rome. Look at, the, look at our list over there. It says church at Rome and then it has a dash and it says us. Okay? This, this, you could put this, you could, you could do this. And we wouldn't be doing any damage to the text to do this. To all who are at Household of Faith Bible Church in Ackworth, Georgia. You with me? This is to the church. This is ours. This is ours. Amen? This is to household of faith. Okay. And here's who you are. If you have repented toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're a born again believer here this morning, this is who you are. You are beloved of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can, can you, you know what, do you know what we, can, we can mirror that with? Do you know what we can wed that with? God speaking from heaven when His Son was baptized and He said this, is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He spoke from heaven at the Mount of Transfiguration. And you know what God said? To Peter and all those who were running their mouth, Hush, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Did you know on the day that you repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, He says the same thing about you. This, hallelujah, amen, this, Jeff, is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. All the merits of Christ have been gifted to you as a believer. So what God thinks of Jesus, He thinks of you. That doesn't mean you are Jesus. But what He does think of His Son has been transferred to me and you. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Beloved of God. Household of faith, you are beloved of God. You are beloved of God. Try this one on for size. This is Ashley Parsons' favorite verse. I found that out on her graduation certificate. When we went to her graduation, and they put their favorite verses on there, and I saw Ashley's favorite verse, and I went, you go, girl. And it says this. As I have loved you, and as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. It means that God loves Jesus, and Jesus loves God at the same level that He loves you. Can you imagine that? We, we did a whole series on that. The love relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. Jesus loves you as much as He does the Father. And the Father loves you as much as He does His Son. Man, I'm blind... We stop there. Sing an invitation hymn right there. My goodness. You're beloved of God, church. Guess what? You're called. You didn't get in by accident. We've talked about this before. God specifically called you, Al, all those years ago in April, in April, those years ago when you celebrated your first, your second birth. He called you out unto His Son. You didn't make up your mind and say, gee, I think I'll get saved. You were called, and every one of you who were saved were called by God. God didn't wake up one day and say, Good night. How did Jeff get in? I wasn't watching things. 
Man, we need to mind the store because otherwise people would like this are going to start coming in. No, 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 no. You were, you, were, you were born of the seed of the living God. It's intentional. God, you were, you were planned. Your birth as a second birth into the family of God, it was a planned birth. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You're a called of God, household of faith, and you are saints. Did you see it right there? It says you're called. Now look at the look at the look at verse seven. Now we're gonna get there, but you gotta hang with me now. Seriously, these little words make big differences. It says, "Beloved of God, called." Let me ask you the question again. How many of you do have do you have two B as italics in there? I do. Anybody two B in the italics? Okay. All right. Here again, same thing. In the original language in which that was written, that is not understood to be a list, it's a progression. It's a list. It is an itemization. I'm Lindsay Lewis, pastor of Household of Faith Bible Church. I am Jill Lewis's husband. I am Catherine Lewis's father. I'm all of those things. This is a list, and this is who you are. You don't cut, you don't you don't get into the family of God and are beloved of God, then you later get called, and then later on you become a saint. When you're born into the family of God, every one of those three things are automatically true of you. It says saints. That means holy ones, it means set apart. We've said this many times before. You're either a saint or an ain't. And when you are born again of the Spirit of God, God labels you that you're a saint. You are set apart. You're my own, purchased by my blood through the Son that I sent to spill His blood on Calvary. And I love you as much as I do Him. Because all the merits of who He is, I'm giving to you. Praise God. Do you remember that time we went back there and got Paul? Paul, my two-year-old son. And we, we pulled him here into the service. And we put him beside me. And we stood here together. I said, you know what? Here's the deal. Paul, last time we checked, thank the Lord, has two lungs. He has two kidneys. He has a liver. He has a pancreas. He has a brain. And even though his brain's probably better developed than mine, we both have brains, believe it or not. And we, we stood beside one another. And I said, I'm, this is, I'm Paul's father. But let me tell you this. Paul is no, more, no less a human being than I am. And he was born into our family. And when he came out of his mother's womb, he, was, he had all the body parts. They're just immature and they're not as advanced and developed as mine are. His digestive system right now, he can't take steak. He one day will, but it'll get him sick. But he has the capacity to eat steak. He has a stomach. He has a large intestine. He has a small intestine. Such is true of the believer. When you're born to get of the Spirit of God, I don't care if you've known Him for five minutes or 50 years, you are the same as any other believer. You have all the body parts. They, might just, they probably are just not as well developed. Thank you. You were born into the family of God like that. The point is this. The point that he's making is, look, let's do a cross-reference and let's look at Paul and let's look at the church at Rome. Look at Paul and look at the church at Rome. Bondservant, beloved of God, called, called, separated to the gospel, saint. Separated to the gospel and set apart mean the same thing. Okay, so look at the itemization. Look what's true of Paul and look what's true of us. Two of the three are identical. Number two, called and called, are identical. Number three, separated to the gospel and saint, separate, set apart, are identical titles. The only one that has a marked difference is the first one. 
He calls Himself a bondservant, and He calls you and I beloved of God. That's incredibly important. Let me tell you why. Here's the deal. You remember what we talked about bondservants. Does anybody remember what a bondservant is? Ray? Happily and loyally linked to the Master. Now, from the Old Testament, how did a bondservant come to be? Does anybody remember? What would happen? All right. That's right. Okay, so after a period of servitude, I'm, I ha- I'm obligated, thank you, Patty, to serve, serve my master as a, as a servant. Okay, after the seventh year, in the seventh year, I got options. What are they? I can go free and be released from his servant, my, my obligations to him, or I can choose to stay for the rest of my life. And if I chose to stay for the rest of my life, they'd take me to the middle of the village and they would take an awl a carpenter tool, and they would make a mark in my ear. Ear mark, that's where that comes from. And they would run that all through my ear. And what that would mean was, is that I am totally devoted and committed to my master by choice for the rest of my life. Did you hear it? By choice. What would motivate somebody to do that? I mean, if you could go free in the seventh year, why would would you stick around? What could be the only motivation for that? Love. From who? From the Master. And so the reason you stick around and the reason that you put yourself under the servanthood of the one serve for the rest of your life is not because of what's in you. It is because of what you know to be in Him. That's the Christian life. My loyalty and my fidelity and your loyalty and your fidelity to Christ and His causes and His concerns and His kingdom should be predicated upon one thing and one thing alone. And it's not what's to be found in my heart. It's not some noble pursuit or great faith on my part. What motivates us to do it should be found in what I know to be in Him. We've talked about faith before. Be careful that you hear somebody say, I've got great faith. You know, we've talked about that before. Great faith has nothing to do with the one who expresses it. But it has everything to do with the one in whom it's expressed. You remember us giving the example. We've told it time and again. Adrian Rogers used to say, it's the greatest example of faith I've ever heard in my life. You travel around all over the world, Dr. Rogers, and you leave your wife, your beautiful wife here in Memphis by herself. Aren't you worried about her? She's going to go uh, you know, pursue somebody else and find somebody else since you're not here all the time. He said, good, this gracious alive. Not a minute. I'm not worried for one minute. And he said, well, you must have to be a man of great faith. He said, no, you just don't know my wife. In other words, his confidence and his wife's loyalty to him and their family had nothing to do with him, but had everything to do with what he knew to be in her. That's what faith is. Faith has as its origins the God of glory. It's sustained by Him. It is gifted by Him. It grows by Him by getting to know Him better. It flows from Him. It has nothing to do with your and I, mine and your character. It has everything to do with His character. So the Apostle Paul, God spoke to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said in the book of Galatians, Brooke, that he didn't get the gospel from somebody else. I didn't confer with flesh and blood, but I went out and I was sequestered by God. I went to Jesus Christ Seminary. 
and Jesus Christ seminary and Jesus was my teacher and he gave me the gospel. It is not from men. It is from God. It's straight from heaven. And he spoke words into his ear. And when he began to understand and was rooted in the truth of the gospel, Paul went from being beloved of God to being a bond servant. See, his bond servanthood is rooted in the fact that he understood like probably nobody else that had ever walked to this earth, the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. That's why those two terms are different. They're actually the same. But underneath it, and you've got a pen put underneath it, underneath where it says Paul, and it says bondservant, just write, beloved of God. Go ahead and do it. I left that out because see, can you fill that in? Beloved of God. You see what I'm talking about? Is everybody with me? If you're not, now we don't get, you don't be embarrassed if you're not with me and I need to tell you. Underneath Paul, underneath where it says bondservant, you put underneath that beloved of God. Okay? Because his bondservanthood, Paul, you know what? You're saved on the Damascus Road. Paul, you're my own. You've been bought and purchased and paid for. But Paul, you know what? That's sealed for eternity. You want to be a bondservant? There are conditions associated with that. And he said, I will gladly lay down my life in full surrender, full throttle surrender to my Lord for the rest of my life because I have come to know and believe that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and You have the words of eternal life. Here's what winds up happening. Then we go to, we go to our next list. Now, don't you look at the next list. Doctrine and duty. Do you see it? Are you watching? And in the middle it says pivot. Alright, now watch this with me. Now carefully watch this with me. The Apostle Paul is writing the book of Romans, Spencer, because he wants the book, the church at Rome to understand the love of God that they have in Christ Jesus. And he's going to spend the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans explaining that to them like no other place in the Bible. So in the first 11 chapters, he's going to give them the major doctrines of the Christian faith. He's going to say, listen to me, here's what you once were, and here's now who you are. And he's going to give them what I like to call a serenade. Look at the word up at top, serenade. It says a complimentary Vocal or instrumental performance, especially one given at night for a woman being courted. I had to serenade my wife. And we still got married. Praise God, hallelujah. But you know what though? I didn't go out in her room in the dorm she was living in and serenade from beneath because I knew I'd get arrested. But I did send her notes. And we did write back and forth. Mostly me. And I'd write back and wonder what she was doing. And I'd write back and I was courting her and let her know um, how much I loved her and appreciated her. And we went back and forth and I serenaded my wife. It's a complimentary performance. And especially at night for someone who's being courted. I went after my bride. I took the initiative, like God took the initiative to come after His. We don't go to heaven and reach for Him. He came to earth to reach for us. And so I went after her. She resisted that for a long time and finally gave in, got right with God and married me. But until then, she was resisting. But I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. I never did make demands of her and say, You marry me, girl. I didn't. I didn't go to her father and say, Mr. Sharp, here's some money. I didn't have any. 
So the first part, the first 11 verses, I mean the first 11 chapters of Romans, this is why we're meticulously studying it right now. This is the very reason why. He, he is believing that God's going to transition them from being beloved of God, based on their understanding of being beloved of God, to being bondservants. You see it? And what he's going to do is, is he's going to share with them a body of truth in Romans chapter 1 through 11 that is a serenade. It is, it is a court song by the God of glory to his bride calling for full surrender to his will based on His goodness, His love for them, His great mercy, His unmerited favor to every last one of us, His choice of us, chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, and He's courting us and He's wooing us with the truth of what He's done through His Son, Christ Jesus, for every last one of us. And buddy, it's a song in the night too. Because son, we're living in a dark time. And in the darkness, He is crying out to His church. Church, understand who you are. Understand who I've made you. Understand who you once were. I didn't purchase a bunch of people who had their act together. I purchased a bunch of harlots. I purchased a bunch of spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. That's who I purchased. I purchased some dirty, filthy, polluted people who not only didn't want me and don't appreciate me, but often don't appreciate me now after having been purchased. I didn't come for the ones who are well, I came for the ones who are sick. So the serenade is in Romans 1 through 11. Then it gets to Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to quote this from the NIV because that's where I've got it memorized. By the mercies of God, brothers, brethren, by the mercies of God, watch this. I urge you. To offer up your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what's happening. In the first 11 chapters is a serenade. It's a song. In the night, penetrating the darkness to talk to your bride and speak sweet somethings into your ear. Here's what I think of. See, we cower away from that. Oh my goodness, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's what He does. Here's what I think of you. You're justified through belief in my Son. Here's what I think of you. Shall tribulation or nakedness or peril or sword or anything that has been or anything that will be, I'm convinced that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no accusation that can stand. God says, if I justify, who is He who condemns? Appeal it to a higher court? Suggest one. And there's nothing that can separate us. There's no condemnation. There's no accusation. And there's no separation. Praise His holy name. And you got in by grace through faith. He chose you. He gave you the faith to believe. He called you to Himself, to His bosom, to love on you, and to manifest His Son in and through us. That's the serenade. It's the song of heaven. And it's found in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. And then when you get to chapter 12, Verse 1, you come to this pivot. You come to the door. It's like a revolving door. And you, and you walk into a splendorous, glorious, surrendered Christian life. See, what he's saying to us, Chris, is that the first 11 chapters, let me tell you what, I, what I've done for you. And then by the time you get to chapter 12, it says, motivated what? 
by the mercies of God. My motivation is the mercy of God. My motivation to become a bondservant is the mercy of the Master. My motivation to become a bondservant is the goodness of the Master. My motivation of the bondservant is what I know to be in the Master. My, my, my fidelity, my surrender to Him is not because of me and because I'm just a, a, a given to surrender because I'm a, a dedicated Christian. My surrender is based on what I'm learning and knowing about Him. Do you see it? So what's the word that's used there? Who has an NIV version? Does anybody in here use NIV? Chris, read it for us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Alright, so listen now. Romans is written to the believer. You ready? Romans is written to the believer. I urge you therefore, brothers, right? Read it. Stand up and read it, Chris, will you? What's the, thank you, Chris. I urge you therefore who? Brothers. What does that mean? Christians. He's writing to Christians. And he says, listen, brothers, now that all of this in the previous 11 chapters is true about you, I urge you to fully surrender. Do you know what we do in the Christian life? We call people to fully surrender, but we use carnal means to do it. What's in it for you? Or maybe to elevate yourself above other Christians. I'm a fully surrendered Christian. I promise you, a fully surrendered Christian would never say that. That's just proof of your lack of surrender. But I can tell you this. But we, but we, you know, we, we, we manipulate people. And we contort people. And we guilt people. We're gonna re- let's, let's guilt them into service. Let's guilt them into service and tell about all the people who are going to hell because you're not serving God. And let's make them feel terrible. And let's run them down. And let's beat them over the head and make them feel like they're trash. Let's do that. Let's manipulate them so we can get them to surrender to the Holy Spirit in full surrender. And yet God doesn't do that. God serenades us and says the call to full surrender. That turnstile, like at Six Flags, we go there with 8 billion other people and we go through the turnstile. And that thing switches right there. When you walk in and you're counted, you're among them who've paid the price to get in. That turnstile was the price to pay. To get, you're already in. That price, you're not doing, going through that turnstile to, for salvation. You're going through that turnstile to find out what it's like to be fully surrendered and full of the Holy Spirit. I was going through this. That word urged means urged. As a matter of fact, in, in, the, in the New King James Version, it says beseech. Maybe you have a King James Version. I think it says both the way. It says beseech. You know what that word means? I put it down here. It means to call for. It means to call to one side. It means entreaty. Webster defines the word entreaty as to make an earnest request, a plea. It means exhortation. Webster defines exhortation as language intended to incite and encourage. And the Lord is singing at you. And He sings through the words of Scripture to tell you what He has accomplished for you 
through His Son for His glory and calls you and urges you and pleads with you in full surrender to lay it down so that He can work through you to pick it up and live a consecrated, fully surrendered life. What's the answer to the question then? Is a born-again believer, is the call to full surrender urged? Or is it commanded? You want further evidence of it? I was going through this and I was just having a hallelujah hooting nanny. And boy, just having, you know, just going through all because we were going through Roman study and I was going, good, not a lot. Look at all. And just, just having a fit over this. And I said, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and look at the concordance. Or I'm going to look in Blue Letter Bible. If you want to just have a little nice tool, online tool to look up words in the Bible and meanings and a concordance and online concordance, Blue Letter Bible is a great tool. Blue Letter Bible. Okay? And I look, got, looked on Blue Letter Bible and here's, what I, here's my theory. I asked God this in my office. I said, God, here's the deal. If this same word, watch this now, if the same word from which this word urged is translated, if that same word is used again in the New Testament in the same way, I'll know this is right. Lord, dare it be? And I just, with trembling hands, I put it in, I put it in the letter Bible. And guess what? It's used in the exact same context, in the exact same setting, setting in the book of Ephesians. Will you go there with me? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Let's go over there. Ooh, hallelujah. Watch this. Ephesians 4, 1. Now, let's look at the outline of the book of Ephesians. We've talked about it before, and Chris mentioned it today about the armor of God. We went through the series on the armor of God. We talked about the whole book of Ephesians and why it was written and the divisions of the book of Ephesians. Do you remember it? The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are the serenade. Some divide it and some theologians have called it doctrine. Then, chapters 4 through 6, duty. Here's what he's done for you, and because of here's what he's done for you, here's how you ought to act. Romans is written the same way. First 11 chapters, what? Doctrine. 12 through 16, duty. There they are. There's a pivotal verse, though. A turnstile. There's a turnstile in between both of those passages. In Romans, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. In Ephesians, it's Ephesians 4, 1. Now watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Ray Morris. Get up and run around the building and come back. And that's only because I don't want to do it. And I'd rather you do it. I, therefore. Why is the therefore, therefore? I, therefore, based on everything, everything that was just written in the first three chapters, I, therefore, as a result of what you just heard, as a result of what you just read, whatever you just read, you have forgiveness from your sins and purchased redemption through the blood of Christ. You're accepted in the Beloved. You are in Christ. You were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sons and daughters of the adopted, adopted sons and daughters of the living God. You were chosen by God. You're sealed. You're ready. You're fixed. You're done. He loves you. He did that because He loves you. You're complete in Him. Thank you. That's the serenade. 
Then the turnstile comes in 4.1. Exact same context. Watch it. Watch it. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, care to guess? Care to guess? <laughs> Where that word? Let me ask you this. Did you know that the word from which beseech is translated is the same identical word from which beseech is translated in Romans 12.1? It's I therefore beseech you. It means I therefore urge you. I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you walk. Worthy walk, surrendered life is urged by our Lord. Can I say this to you? And we've said this for three Sundays in a row on purpose. This is the third Sunday. Listen to this carefully. Your surrender to Jesus Christ did not purchase your salvation. Your surrender in Jesus Christ and your surrender to Christ did not. Wait a minute now. I know, before you think I'm a heretic, hold on. Your surrender to Christ does not secure your salvation. It gives evidence of it. It may give evidence of it, but it doesn't secure it. Christ's surrender to the will of the Father is what purchased your salvation. And your surrender and my surrender comes as a result of a serenade sung and played by the harp of heaven in places like Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 and Romans chapter 1 through 11. And you get into the turnstile and here's what he says. I urge you, therefore, brethren, I beseech you, I call you. God recruits with a cross. The Muslims do it with a sword. You pick. You pick. Or He picked you. Amen? And then, the duty. When we dutifully respond and we surrender, we become not only beloved of God, but we become a bondservant. Do you see it? And so listen to me. The doctrine that's found in Romans 1-11 and Ephesians 1-3 through must not be neglected. We must dive into it. We must parse it out. We must chew it, eat it, take it in. Just a, just a tidbit this morning when we said justification by faith, Kristen, justification by faith means that. Not only, we reduce it to being forgiven and it's wonderful to be forgiven. We reduce it to being pardoned and it's wonderful to be pardoned. But it goes beyond that. It means that God treats you now in standing before Him that you are not guilty. You know what? We begin to believe like that. This won't become much of a problem. That won't be near the problem to you that this is right now. Or even that. Whatever, whatever that will open up that we own. Quote, unquote. It won't be, it won't be, any, it won't be that. You understand? What, whatever that is. All of these things. And it won't be because you better surrender because God will give you back 34 and if He don't, He's going to take everything from you because He's mad at you. And we, we, we try to talk people into surrender. We use carnal means. We've got sincere motives, but we're using anti-biblical means to accomplish them. Do you see it? It's this. You're going, to, you're going to wrangle with God over tithing when you realize what He's done for you and that you stand before Him? Not guilty. You can't have my children, Lord. You can't have my future, Lord. Not guilty. You can't have my time, Lord. 
not guilty. You can't have my calendar, Lord. Not guilty. You can't have my career choices, Lord. Not guilty. You can't have my life, Lord. Not guilty. We don't get it. We don't get it. We don't get it. So we see people, or maybe you think or know of people who are fully surrendered, and you think they're exceptional. Exceptional? Read the text. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of mercy. He takes us to a trip at the base of Calvary and we get to look up in the, the blood covered face of our Savior and the crown of thorns that was placed on His head which should have been on mine. We get to look at Him like that and we look up at His face and we go, God, I'm going to wrestle with You about surrender? Not if we take a real trip there. It's the serenade of heaven that leads to consecration on earth. Your surrender does not secure your salvation. It may give evidence of it, but it doesn't secure it. Our salvation is secured by the surrender of Christ to the will of the Father. And He gives that to you by faith. And that's completely different than what we've learned. It's not new, it's just different. Because you know why? We don't take the time to dive into texts like Romans 1 through 11. We don't take the time to dive into texts like Ephesians 1 through 3. And because we don't take the time, we get talked into the devil, like the devil. When Chris was saying that this morning, the devil wants to talk him into something. And I appreciate your honesty about that. And you've moved through because you're a real believer. But the devil wants to downsize and, and, and somehow another uh, taint your redemption. And, uh, and somehow another mar the testimony of Christ as it manifests in your life. And He's in your life. And the devil wants to steal that from you. And wants to rob that from you. He can't do it. But he can do that and talk you into it so he robs you of your victory. And he can rob you of making spirit-led choices. He can rob you of all of those things. He can rob you of usefulness. He can rob you of fruitfulness. He can do all of those things. He can flat do those things. And we need to stop letting him do it right now. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. In, in Romans, I'm almost finished. In Romans, it says by the mercies of God. In Ephesians, it says it like this. He goes through 3, 14 through 21. I, liked, I just jumped out of the chair when I was tapping this into Blue Lair Bible. And the text that precedes the call for surrender, what is it about? Paul's prayer that the church would understand what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height of the love of Christ which we have that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, live a surrendered life. Not too long ago, my son Andrew was in the living room and he bought a, we got him a Wii for Christmas. And he loves that thing. And, uh, and he was in there playing that Wii. And I celebrate that. He has a good time with it. Catherine and the kids have a good time with it. And I was about to leave to go to the grocery store, uh, the uh, drugstore to pick up something for Jill. And it was just going to be a quick trip. 
And so, uh, Jill, my precious wife, is always looking for opportunities for us to hang out together as a family. And she said, Andrew, why don't you go with your dad to the store? And of course, that thrills me. But Andrew got up and he came over to me and he said, Daddy, I'm not going with you to the store because Mama wanted me to. I'm going with you because I want to. Now, which one am I going to pick? If his mother said, Andrew, I'm going to beat you within an inch of your life if you don't get in that truck and go with your dad to the drugstore. This will be a sad day in your life and maybe one of your lasts. And he's sitting there in the pickup truck with me and I'm knowing that he's on there going. And all the while, all he's thinking about is the back of gone game he just got through playing a week. It has nothing to do with wanting to be with me. Or would you pick, wow, Dad, I want to pile up in this car, however short the trip might be, because I value you. You see it? You better get it there tomorrow morning. Read the Bible. For an hour and 47 minutes. And if you don't read the Bible for 47 minutes, you don't love God. Or you crack open and say, I've come to know that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you have the words of life. Friends, it's urged. It's urged. And it's up to you.